Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. Today, we're bringing back a special guest, Dr. Temple Grandin. My first interview with Dr. Grandin was almost two years ago. She has since released a new book, Visual Thinking, The Hidden Gifts of People Who Think in Pictures, Patterns, and Abstractions. Dr. Grandin is well known for both her pioneering autism advocacy and her lifelong dedication to animal welfare. Through groundbreaking research aimed at understanding her own autistic mind, Dr. Grandin propelled the awareness of autism during a time when very little was known of it. She is an incredible source of hope for children with autism, their parents, and ultimately, anyone with a dream. Dr. Grandin became an internationally recognized leader in animal handling innovations after developing a corral that improved the quality of life of cattle by reducing stress. She has consulted with the USDA and major corporations such as McDonald's, Wendy's, Burger King, Whole Foods, and Chipotle. Today, half of the cattle in North America are handled in facilities she designed. Dr. Grandin is also a prominent author, having written several books on autism and animal behavior. She has been featured on various media outlets and programs, including NPR, the BBC, Larry King Live, 2020, 60 Minutes, and TED, to name a few. In 2010, HBO produced an Emmy Award-winning movie about her life, and later that year, she was highlighted in Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World. In 2016, she was inducted into the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. These days, Dr. Grandin continues to write and teaches animal science at Colorado State University. In this conversation, we discuss object visualizers versus visual spatial thinkers, Temple's ability to think in pictures, how to screen for visual thinkers at school, the loss of skilled workers, how complementary thinkers can work together, how to improve the school system and properly educate different thinkers, how parents can encourage the development of skills in visual thinkers, executive functioning, reading graphic novels, how to solve the world's biggest problems, and advice for visual thinkers. In this episode, discover what's possible when all minds are put to use. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Autism Podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project, and join our online community on Mighty Networks at community.globalautismproject.org. And now I present you Dr. Temple Grandin. Hi, Temple. Welcome back to Autism Knows No Borders. Thanks for being here today. It's great to be here. So our last interview was almost two years ago, December 2020. So what are some updates? What have you been up to since then? Well, one of the big things I've been up to is my new book on visual thinking. This is my new book right here. Visual Thinking, The Hidden Gifts of People Who Think in Pictures, Patterns, and Abstractions. And that was my big COVID project. And 
just before COVID hit, I went on a trip to a poultry processing plant, two state-of-the-art pork processing plants, and a Steve Jobs theater. And I realized there's major stuff that we're not making. Like, for example, for a state-of-the-art poultry processing plant, how about 100 shipping containers from Holland for the equipment? And this really got me to thinking. The glass walls on the Apple Mothership building and the Steve Jobs Theater are from Germany and Italy. Highly specialized glass with the electrical wiring hidden in it. And we didn't make that. And so I started looking more into this. And I found out that we did not make the state-of-the-art electronic chip-making machine. We being Americans. Well, we used to build an entire poultry processing plant. Now we build the building. I see, I see. Refrigeration we build, but we don't do all the specialized mechanical equipment that would go inside the poultry processing plant. It's from Holland. Okay, so I got to thinking, why is this happening? We've got an issue here with skill loss. And when I was out working on beef plants all the time, I have a piece of equipment I worked on developing called the Center Track Restrainer System. You can look it up on Beef Plant Video Tour with Temple Grandin. And when we were putting these systems in, in the early 90s, there were a lot of little shops that built these things. All the people I work with have retired. And a lot of them are not getting replaced. Here's the reason why. We're paying the price for taking out shop classes in a lot of our high schools 20 to 25 years ago. Another thing that we've got a price is a lot of the people that I worked with that had multiple patents, owned a great big shop, were either autistic, dyslexic, or ADHD. Now that there's no shop classes, they get shunted in special ed and they're playing video games in the basement instead of building specialized equipment. Another big mistake the industry made, and this is not limited to the meat industry, is shutting down in-house engineering departments. 20 years ago, I could go down in a plant maintenance shop and we want to build some hydraulic stuff, they could just build it. Many of my clients have lost that ability. It was cheaper to just let local shops do it. Well, when they run out of local shops, then you've got a problem. So this book is, starts out about skill loss. And then I talk about the different kinds of thinking. There's actually two kinds of visual thinking. There's visual thinking my kind of visual thinking, where I think in pictures, object visualization. Everything I think about is a photorealistic picture. And that's shown very, very accurately in the HBO movie. And we're good at animals, anything mechanical, art, and photography. Now, the other kind of visualization is visual spatial. This is your mathematician, your pattern thinker, pattern thinker, not picture thinker. These are your mathematicians, your computer coders, and we have plenty of those, and they get degrees at the university. But the people I've worked with, many of them would be special ed kids today, probably barely graduated from high school, but they took a welding class, started a little shop, and it grew. And some of the shops got so big, they have a corporate jet. And this is where we've lost skills. There's a connection here between autism, dyslexia, and ADHD and losing skills in specialized mechanical equipment. Mm. And this is the object visualizer, you're saying? I'm an object visualizer. Okay. Okay. Everything I think about is a picture. Okay, well, let's say you want to find out how I think. 
give me a keyword. Pretend I'm Google for images. And don't give me something I can see here in this room. Think up something creative for a keyword, not something that I can see in my kitchen here. Roller coaster. Okay. I am seeing an old Coney Island roller coaster. I'm seeing different roller coasters. I'm kind of going through the roller coasters. And I'm actually afraid of roller coasters. I've never oh. actually been on one. Okay. Uh, now I'm seeing other carnival rides I really liked. Mm-hmm. And then some of those I did go on, like the thing called the Roundup. It's now called Anti-Gravity. And then I remember going on the website for that carnival ride. And they were very proud of the fact, no computers, no complicated electronics. In other words, they got to call this thing around on a semi-trailer. And now I'm seeing the big truck I followed home last night from the airport. And he was waiting a bit and I wanted to get by him. Mm-hmm. So your brain just follows this kind of train of thought. But you see there's some logic to it. Yeah. It's not random. Okay, I started out with roller coasters. Then I've got to other carnival rides. Okay, see, there's a link there. Then I'm getting to a specific carnival ride that I saw last year at our county fair. I really liked the hydraulics on it. So then I looked up their website. Yeah. And they were making it very simple so that People could take this trailer mounted right around and you needed about one brain cell to assemble, assemble the thing. What if you hear a word that you don't know, that you're not familiar with, like a foreign word? Well, if you give me the U.S. word for dog, I see uh, Cheryl Miller has uh, some corgis. I see them. I'm seeing a picture of a dingo I looked at last night in a magazine. But if you say shen, the French word for dog, now I'm seeing dogs from uh, things in Paris related to dogs. Oh, interesting. But the foreign word, will, it still gives a slightly different set of pictures. Uh-huh. Okay. So in Spanish, if I say the word baño. I know that's a word for what do we call restroom, the toilet. Uh-huh. But I'm also seeing cattle dipping bat because in Spanish, the cattle dipping bat is called the baño. Oh, interesting. So okay. now I'm seeing the cattle dipping vats shown in the movie. Uh-huh. And I'm now back on the job at the Red River Feed Yard and seeing things that we did there. Yeah. Okay. Because in Spanish, that same word is used for a piece of cattle equipment. Mm-hmm. So what are the statistics of people who are visual thinkers? Well, let's start with people who think in pictures like you. Well, I've worked with a lot of people in, from worked in shops. One of the things about my kind of thinking is you can't do higher math. See, there's two parts of engineering. There's the mathematical part where they calculate everything. Then there's the visual thinkers like me that just see how to do stuff. And I'm very concerned that in our educational system, we're getting screened out. One of the reasons why Holland, people, why Holland Dutch companies making this equipment is in ninth grade around age 14, that kid can go university route or go tech skilled trades route. And very high-end skilled trades is one of the places where you don't need a college degree. I worked with people who were highly dyslexic, very autistic, and 20 patents. They're all retirement age now. And they're selling this stuff around the world. Complicated, clever equipment. I have to be vague about what it is because they're not formally disclosed. Okay, got it. So. What are the statistics around autistic people who are visual thinkers? Well, 
one mistake I made back when I did wrote Thinking in Pictures, my earlier book, back when I did this book, and it's like 25 years ago. It now has a 25-year anniversary edition afterward. I made the mistake of thinking that everybody on the autism spectrum thought in pictures. Well, I immediately heard about it on the Amazon reviews. Hmm. And I realized that was wrong. And then I sort of kind of investigated and I found that uh, there's some that are very verbal. These are the individuals that love history and facts and sports statistics. Then I figured out there's another kind of pattern thinker who thinks in patterns rather than pictures. And I found this out interviewing people. The pattern thinker, I first got an inkling that that existed when I read Clara Claiborne Park's book, Exiting Nirvana, about her autistic daughter. And when I was reading that book, and I looked at all the patterns she did on beautiful pictures of houses as she decorated with all kinds of patterns, I go, wait a minute, there's thinking in patterns. And then when I did the autistic brain, I found journal articles that supported the idea of an object visualizer like me and then a pattern thinker. And there are different kinds of thought. And then, of course, in my new book, Visual Thinking, I've got an entire chapter just on research that shows that object visualization like me and the visual spatial mathematical pattern thinker are two different kinds of thinking. And they approach problem solving in different ways. And we need all these skills. Yeah. Could you talk about some of the different ways they approach a problem? Well, let's just take the Fukushima accident. I have a chapter on disasters. Your regular mathematically trained university engineer calculates risk. And the mathematicians did a perfect job of making Fukushima earthquake proof. It shook and it shook and it shook and it shook and everything was fine. 20 minutes later, the tsunami drowned it. And simple watertight doors would have protected the electrically operated emergency cooling pump. Now, you see how basic that is? I can't design a nuclear reactor. But all I know is that that electric pump doesn't run. It's very, very bad. That's all I know. Simple watertight doors. They didn't see it. That's seeing risk. Mm. That's seeing risk rather than calculating risk. So this is where you need both kinds of thinkers. Maybe you need me for safety systems. Mm -hmm. Because I can see the risk. Oh, I see a regular steel door. And I'm going, hmm, I know what's going to happen to that but with uh, two meters of water up against it. It's going to bust out and that basement's going to be flooded three seconds later. Yeah. So I just want to take a step back because you were talking about the different kinds of visual thinkers. Now, what other kinds of thinkers are there? So there's auditory thinkers, right? Well, there's people that are definitely auditory. And a lot of some dyslexic people prefer audiobooks. In fact, interestingly enough, when I got royalty checks for thinking in pictures just recently, I was surprised that a third of it was audiobook. Oh, yeah. A third of it. Now, that didn't used to be true. Mm-hmm. But a big Third, and then I'm also happy to say that Visual Thinking made the New York Times bestseller list for one week. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, both in ebook and in paper. Mm-hmm. So, is there any other type of thinker? You have visual, auditory, tactile, or? Well, you see, you have, you know, Howard Gardner's, you know, different types of thinking. Now, kinesthetic. I didn't look at that. Mm. 
Okay. You know, that's more athletic thinker. Since I've worked so long in with building trades and with um, building and designing things, I was particularly interested in the engineering stuff. Yeah. Because we're not making things like a state-of-the-art electronic chip-making machine. It's from Holland. Mm-hmm. Well, we're losing skills. And I can tell you, these kids are playing video games in the basement when they should be building things. They're growing up not using tools. I'm seeing students growing up today totally removed from practical things. I had a girl in my class last year who had never used a ruler or tape measure to measure anything in her life. Wow. A mom saying, oh, paints and markers are too messy. I won't let my kids have those. Well, you have them like in certain places in the house. Like I had all those things as a kid. Boy, they were not allowed in the living room. That's for sure. <laughs> right. But, you know, kids are not doing hands-on things. So how do you think visual thinkers can be screened at school? What's a way to kind of identify them in children? Well, I can tell you right now, can't do algebra. Can't do algebra. It's too abstract. And I'm seeing that screening them out. I've seen situations where a visual thinker was kept out of an auto mechanics class because um, they couldn't pass the algebra prerequisite. And then some object visualizers like me are really good at geometry. I never got to take geometry because they kept bashing away on algebra. So how to manage to get a PhD? I had to major in psychology, pick something out that required less math. I got a C as in Charlie in statistics, enough, enough A's in other classes to offset that. But I'm concerned that we're losing skills. I mean, let's look at things like repairing elevators and escalators. I've been on some really weird elevators lately that miss floors mm-hmm. because they haven't been serviced. That was in September. Went in a major airport, four people there working on an escalator. They ended all torn apart. Three out of four with gray hairs. Hmm. Yeah, this is a concern. Who's going to repair stuff? They're not getting replaced. And especially the object visualizers. And none of the people I worked with that had 20 patents on complicated mechanical equipment could do elsewhere. So is there a way to... Like maybe you're not a natural object visualizer. Is there a way to develop this kind of skill? Well, I think you could partially develop it. You see, most people are mixtures of the different kinds of thinking. Uh, They're mixtures. But when you get a label, autism, dyslexia, ADHD, something like that, sensory processing disorder, whatever, you might be an extreme object visualizer or an extreme mathematician. And what the research has shown is these are different types of thinking. You will not find an extremely good object visualizer and an extremely good mathematician in the same person. They're different ways of thinking. So then I want to really emphasize complementary skills. Let's go back to food processing, where I spent a lot of time out on big construction sites. And my kind of mind makes all the clever equipment. Think packaging equipment. You can look up the Apollo chicken harvester machine. Looks like a combine for picking up broiler chickens. It's from Italy. Very clever. And then refrigeration, boilers, structure of the building. That's the mathematical engineers. That's what your university engineers do uh, do that. But you see, you have to have both kinds of engineering to have a factory. Yeah. But you see, most people in education don't know anything about factories or business. And then one of the ways to get kids that are addicted to video games off of them has been mechanics. 
It's been very successful. They find out that fixing cars is much more interesting than video games. Right. That's been successful. But there's a relationship here, what's going on in special ed and what's going on in industry. And that was the reason for doing visual thinking. Now, here's another example of collaboration. Betsy Lerner, my co-author, is totally verbal, totally linear in her thinking. I'm association. So I did the rough drafts of the chapters, and then Betsy smoothed them all out. Okay, yeah. That's both kinds of minds working together mm-hmm. in a complementary way, recognizing where our different kinds of way to problem solving and doing things can work in a complementary manner. That's what we did on this book. Okay. I get asked all the time, what could I do if I could wave a magic wand in, in education? I'd put all the hands-on classes back in. Art, sewing, cooking, woodworking, metalworking, auto shop, theater, music. Okay, now kids are going to tend to gravitate towards stuff they're good at. But we've got kids growing up today that never use tools. Or I've seen parents get so locked into an autism diagnosis that even though both parents were computer programmers, they didn't think to teach their eight-year-old kid who's super good at math programming because they got so locked into the label. The other thing is the math kids solve problems differently than the more verbal teachers solve them. A math kid can look at um, an algebra formula and just see it, just give you the answer. It's a different way of thinking. And the teacher's going, you have to do it out step by step. And then the kid gets frustrated and become a behavior problem. Mm, yeah. No, you need to let these math kids do it their way and move them ahead. Move them ahead. And let's cut back on the word problems and give them more old-fashioned algebra books. Dig them out of the attic. That's what some of those kids need, where it's all numbers rather than words. What about for object visualizers? What's a way to educate them in the classroom? Well, lots of hands-on things. Now, things like reading. I didn't read at age eight, at third grade. And mother taught me with phonics. And we read out loud, and I carefully sounded out my words. That's how I learned to read. Also, I had all kinds of hands-on things that I did as a kid. I was watching a show the other night on Legos, making all kinds of, it was a, the assignment for high school kids was to make amusement park uh, like uh, out of Legos. And that's wonderful. And they were very creative. They had you know rides and stuff that went around. But there's a point where you need to go beyond Legos. How about tools? How about making stuff from scratch? Too many kids grow up today never using tools. Well, how can you know whether you like tools or not if you don't try them? Yeah. I'm a big fan of exposure. I was exposed to playing a little flute when I was a child. I couldn't do it, but I was exposed. Another kid's going to pick that flute up and take off with it. So I'm a big believer in exposing kids to a whole lot of different things. Yeah. And seeing what they gravitate towards. Right. So for parents, what's a way that they can encourage these kinds of strengths in children who are visual thinkers? Well, my mother always encouraged my ability in art. And I would just draw the same horse head over and over again. Mother said, let's draw the whole horse. Let's draw the stable. She said, well, let's use paint instead of pencil. She was just broadening it, you know, encouraging but broadening my art skill. Yeah. The way I used to sell jobs is I would just show people my drawings. When you're weird, what you got to do is learn to sell your work. Mm. And when I showed my drawings off, People were impressed. Mm -hmm. That's how I sold the jobs. 
a lot of people that are on the autism spectrum that are very successful have their own businesses. They either have their own businesses, ranging small to very large, or they kind of find a niche within a company, like being the resident electrical genius, for example. And where they get into trouble is when bosses change. That can be a big problem for somebody on the spectrum, especially an older person who's been in a job for many years and get a new boss. Mm-hmm. Right. I can't remember long strings of verbal information. So they go, blah, 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 blah. This is what they want me to design. I can't remember that. I got to write it down. Pilot's checklist. I have no verbal sequencing memory. Mm. Got to write it down. Mm-hmm. And there was a sad story where a guy who built fencing, this happened just last year, got fired when he got a new boss. The boss goes, blah, 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 blah. And he built the fence wrong and got fired. If he had just been allowed to write down, okay, I'll, you built this, 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 then it would have been fine. Like three minutes to write it down in the morning. That's all I would have needed to do. But he didn't think to ask for it either? Well, I don't know. He got fired. It was a real mess. Uh, okay. And this is where I've seen sad situations where they get fired. The other thing on these shops is a really creative autistic guy has to have somebody to run the business. Several incidents have been the spouse or they hired somebody to run the business. Once the shop gets more than like two or three people, they're going to need help on the business end of it. Do you think that's related to like challenges with executive functioning? Well, let me throw that term around. It depends how you define executive functioning. How do you define it? Well, I can't process or remember those long strings of verbal information. Now, I like to use a calendar where I can see my whole schedule for the week. So when I'm making plane reservations, for example, I'm going, oh, I'm flying east. I got to have a whole day before the event for travel. Flying the other way, I can take a six o'clock plane and get home. You see, and then I like looking at the whole month and I can see, well, fly east. I take a 10 o'clock flight out of Denver. It gets to most eastern locations by 3.30 or 4. Mm-hmm. And I have to have room on the calendar to do that. Yeah. How about your day-to-day time management? Well, I'm usually pretty good on that. But I think part of it is kids are not being taught social skills in the same structured way. They aren't being taught. Things like shopping, budgeting, a lot of life skills that I just took for granted are not being taught. I'm appalled at the number of teenagers with an autism label, fully verbal, who have never gone in a store and bought something by themselves. Mm-hmm. I was taught saving money when I was eight years old, along with every other kid in the neighborhood. And I got 50 cents a week for allowance. And there were certain things mother considered were allowance items, candy bars, comics, little toy airplanes. She never bought those things. 50 cents a week, five Superman comics. But if I wanted a 69 cent airplane, I had to save for two weeks. And I'm realizing now just how important that was in teaching me skills. Yeah, it's important, these life skills. Now it's a $5 airplane. Yeah. And it's a worse airplane than the one we had in the 50s. Mm. So speaking of comics, Do you gravitate more towards like picture books because of the way you think? I love comics, but I don't really like these graphic novels because I don't like the switching back and forth between the picture and the text. 
if I'm the book's got pictures in it, I like to look at the pictures. Okay, like this morning I was reading articles in Science, and I looked at all the graphs really carefully, and I take in the graphs, and then I read the text. I don't switch back and forth that much. Mm, okay. I tend to look at the graphs first, but in some graphic novels, I got so much switching back and forth. I don't like that. Okay, that makes sense. You know, I'd rather just read the text or just give me drawings for something. I'll look at it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So going back to this idea of how visual thinkers can solve problems, what do you think are some of the biggest problems of the world? And it's a big question. Right now in the 21st century, and how can visual thinkers contribute to solving them? My approach to problem solving is to look at things more targeted. Let's look at my cattle handling work. Okay, people say, well, how do we just treat animals more humanely? Mm-hmm. Well, I picked out something that's relatively specific. Cattle handling. That's not everything. That's something specific. And I would design a piece of equipment, and then I wrote about how to design it. Writing was really important. I would just write how-to articles on how to design stuff. I also learned that selling equipment is much easier than getting people to operate it correctly. Mm. Took me about 10 years to learn that. But it's something targeted. And it's not the everything. You know, like I have a lot of students say, well, I want to work on social justice. I said, let's pick out something more targeted, like maybe using DNA evidence to show that this particular prisoner did not commit the crime. But that's something specific. You see, that's also something much more doable. You're doing something very specific. Yeah. Like right now, you know, there's this threat of climate change, which is very big still. What are your ideas to get specific with that? Well, you have to pick out something that you can actually work on. And right now you've got a lot of investors like covering fields up with solar panels. Uh, I'd like to see some sheep grazing under that. We have a thousand acres. That's a huge amount of land covered up solar panels with no sheep under it. I don't think that's very good. And the other thing that worries me, have they figured out the maintenance on this system? Okay, you get in there, you get a tax break, build all the solar panels, you're going to maintain it, the wiring and stuff on that? There's maintenance. Right. And who are you going to need to fix that stuff? People that flunked algebra. Okay. (laughs) That's who you need to fix it. And I wouldn't be bothered with the tilting mechanisms for the solar panels. Just mount them solid. The tilting Mm -hmm. mechanisms break. I don't know how many times I've seen the solar panels all this way. Yeah. And I noticed that our airport for a long time had that problem. Every time I drove in there, it annoyed me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But picking out something specific. I was just at yesterday talking to Texas science teachers meeting, and they had a horrible thing where all these power plants got frozen, and they couldn't work, and the electricity grid went down. I. See, my approach to that, I would like to know, if I'm going to make policy about this, what froze, what exact thing froze at each one of those power stations? You turn me loose three hours in each one, I'll go down to a maintenance shop and they'll tell me. And I know enough about equipment that they can't tell me. Maintenance people aren't going to tell me if it's BS. And I would rank them from easy to fix to most difficult to fix. Hmm. And then let's discuss it. Okay, like a frozen turbine hall, that's probably easy to fix. Distributed gas wells all froze up, that's a mess to fix. But when they talked about what they're going to do about it, everybody's just running around crazy. 
but nobody's discussing what froze each one of these stations. You froze the coal-fired power plant? Probably something to do with the coal intake, which works like a grain elevator on super heavy duty. Yeah, well, no, that one's probably easier to fix. You know, 100 people died in that mess. Wow. Yeah, that, that's really serious. But nobody talked about it where they actually talked specifically what these plants froze. What froze in each station? And then once you know that, which ones will be easy to winterize and which ones might be almost impossible to winterize? So is it kind of like with the way that your brain works, you're scanning over the whole power plant looking for exactly where the problem was, trying to get more zoned well, in? Well, I'm going to go. I'm going to tell you. I see the power plant. I see we have a coal-fired power plant. And I've been on the property there because my student raced bison there. I'm now seeing a security guard house. I'm going to walk in that plant, go straight to the maintenance shop. Mm-hmm. And they'll tell me. As long as I protect them from being fired, they will tell me. That's the first thing I'm going to do, straight to the maintenance shop. And I don't want anybody with me because if there's any suits around, they won't talk. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, now take me out show me show me the thing that froze. I know enough about equipment. I'm not going to get into something, get electrocuted or anything like that. I Or fall into the, something. What was the thing that froze? And then we discuss how to fix it. And then you could start making rational decisions. Okay, now let's say I could fix half of those stations. With half the stations on that grid, can I at least do scheduled rolling blackouts on a schedule? That's not ideal, but it's better than having it totally off. Right. Okay, okay, now mathematicians. I don't know how to balance a power grid. Okay, mathematicians. If I get half of these stations working, keep them working, can I at least do some de- decent scheduled rolling blackouts? Okay, mathematicians, tell me. I can't balance a power grid, but I'd be very good at finding out what exactly froze at each station and very good at estimating the expense to winterize it. You see, but that's specific. Uh-huh. That's specific. Temple, I want to tie this back into what you were talking about earlier with the need for more hands-on workshops in school so that kids can learn how to use tools and build things and solve problems from that angle. So again, this is like a big problem. Like if you look at the school system, the education system as a whole, how can we get specific to solve the problem? Some schools are putting it back in. Like Minnesota right now is thinking about following the Dutch model of a university route and a tech route. But there's a tendency to you know, think, well, we just put the stupid kids in sh- into shop. I can tell you right now, the people I work with have patented mechanical equipment. It's a different kind of thinking. Right. Uh, one of the things that motivated me in my 20s to do the projects that were shown in the movie, I wanted to prove it wasn't stupid. A lot of people thought it was stupid. Mm-hmm. So then if the goal is to increase the number of classes that are offered in each school, where does it start? Does it start with the parents asking for it or awareness on the administration to know that this is even a problem? I get asked this all the time. I can tell you, you fix one school at a time. Okay. And then you need to be looking at, it's going to be long-term, looking at where students are 10 years after high school. I can think of all kinds of places I don't want them. And then you write about how you did it. 
writing was a really important part of my career because I wrote about how to build cattle handling facilities, the behavior of cattle. I wrote about that. Just how-to articles. There's a lot of creative stuff being done with teaching, and none of it's written about. I mean, now, you see, I don't think in, in generalities. I'm bottom-up. So I'm thinking a specific example where I went to a book talk, and I uh, was for a book distributing company, and it was a teacher that did really, really creative stuff on teaching kids about Egypt and about history. And I said, your talk needs to be on YouTube. Well, that never got done. And it needs to be on YouTube with enough keywords so that people will find it. Right. Then it serves as a model for other people. Well, that's right. And there's a lot of really creative people doing stuff and nothing's written up or nothing's videoed in a format that people could access. I found that in in autism treatment. There was a lady named Lorna King. She was really um, a pioneer in occupational therapy and a sensory-based therapy methods. She has one paper, and I was a co-author on it and wrote most of the paper on her research, and she's first author. Mm -hmm. But she did all this wonderful pioneering work. You can't, because nothing was written up except this one paper. And I kept pushing, we've got to get some of this stuff written up just on how to do sensory therapy. This is back in the 70s. Well, I think also there's, you know, a new way of sharing information now, like with podcasts, like with what we're doing. Well, that's right. Well, and that wasn't available. And I think Lorna King would have uh, done a podcast, you see, but that wasn't available. Mm -hmm. You know, video cameras are big, gigantic, huge things. And there was no way of doing that. Yeah, she because we could have done podcasts of her talks. Mm-hmm. But when she was doing most of her talks, feeling was pretty cumbersome. Yeah. All right, Temple, I'd like to close with one last question. What advice would you give to any visual thinkers out there, whether they're autistic or not? Try lots of different things. See what you're good at doing. Now, remember, there's two kinds of visual thinkers. There's object visualizers like me think in pictures we're good at art animals mechanical things and photography and then there's some more mathematical visual spatial computer programming higher mathematics and um try lots of different things i'm going to recommend to parents if you have a kid that's good at math move them ahead maybe your 10 year old needs to take high school math let them do it the visual thinkers like me we need to be using tools and building things making mechanical things you can start with some of the Lego mechanical things, but some of that stuff gets kind of expensive. You know, we just had old wooden stuff and made things out of it. And when I was in second grade, I was using tools, pliers, hammer, and screwdriver to make little crossbars on my parachutes. And that project's in this Calling All Minds book, which is my childhood projects. Mm-hmm. And I can remember my little kid's hand wasn't strong enough to cut a coat hanger wire but I could dent it, and then I had to go like this. Yeah, <laughs> I remember doing that. Mm-hmm. But kids aren't doing those things where they just tinker around, and see, that's where visual thinkers really thrive. Yeah. And I think as adults, too, you can still tap into some unknown strengths that you might have. Like, I just started doing painting a couple okay. of years ago, and I realized, wow, I'm, I'm actually pretty decent at it. So I've continued Good. taking classes. But it's something that I never really threw myself into as a kid. So I, I just want to add to that, that as adults can continue to learn. Well, that's too. right. I didn't start come from an ag background, so how to end up in the cattle industry. 
I ended up in the cattle industry because I was exposed to it as a teenager. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in exposure. And then if you're going to go into professionally, then mentoring. But I can remember people I worked with that started as tiny shops. And a contractor named Jim Uhl had seen my drawings, and he had like a two-person construction company, steel and concrete work. Tiny little tiny shop. Eventually grew into a huge big construction business. He seeked me out to sell jobs and design jobs. And I watched other companies start out really small and grow. What's happening today, the small shops are not forming for the most part. Mm-hmm. Like right now, I was out in Nebraska. It was a big feedlot out in Nebraska. They can't find anybody to repair their mill. That's a problem. That's this September. That's a problem. Yeah. Well, I hope your book brings you know some inspiration to people to actually make some change in this. Thing is, I'm really concerned about the skill loss. And then I spent hours online looking stuff up, finding more examples of this. And you, I'm a big believer. Expose kids to lots of different things. And you know, some people say, well. Everyone should go to college. There's one place where you don't need college. High-end skilled trades. I'm not talking about roofing and floor tiles. I'm talking about the high-end stuff. Inventing equipment, heating and air conditioning, electricians, plumbers, the um, welders who uh, invent things and patent. I mean, some of these people I had that I worked with that I know are autistic and stutterers, they have 20 patents. They're selling their specialized equipment around the world and they started out in the backyard because they took a welding class in high school that was the beginning of it mm-hmm. right just got to expose them they've got to get exposed to stuff yeah and even thinking about the future of ai and using machines you gotta remember all of this stuff you're talking about mechanical devices controlled by computers somebody has to repair all this stuff yeah we're not thinking enough about that. Mm -hmm. All right, Temple. Well, thank you so much for for coming on the show again. I'm going to put a link to your new book in our show notes so people can go check that out. Okay. Well, thank you so much. No, we need to get this out there because visual thinkers are good at thinking of more specific things to work on, like like on energy and things like that. Well, let's take the wind, wind turbines. We just had one where the whole top fell off in, in Colorado. It was not being maintained. It was 20 years old. Never had a drop of maintenance. Wow. That's not, that's awful. Yeah. We need our visual thinkers in the future to find practical solutions to problems. Verbal thinkers are too top down, too generalized. Mm-hmm. You know, I get asked, uh, what can I do to fix schools? Let's fix one school at a time. And then write about how you did it. And how did these students have better careers when we did this? That's something specific. But I did lots of writing just on how to do stuff. Yeah, make it accessible for other people. That's how progress happens, right? People learn from other people's ideas and they build on them. Well, that's right. And we've got things and we need all, all the different kinds of minds to solve problems. You need the mathematical thinkers, you need the picture thinkers like me, and we need the verbal thinkers, too. Mm-hmm. You know, all the different kinds of minds need to work together, and they have complementary skills. And I discuss that in detail in my book on visual thinking. And 
in the future, we need to figure out how to solve problems. So if we're working on something like, you know, renewable energy, pick out something specific that you can actually work on, make it successful, and then write about how you did it. Yeah. Great. All right. Thank you very, very much. Great to talk to you. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. After this conversation with Temple, I reflected on which category of thinkers I would lean towards. I've always considered myself more of a visual learner. I prefer seeing things written down, like schedules and instructions. When playing piano, I'm better at reading sheet music than playing by ear. And I also love puzzles and assembling furniture. I guess now I would consider myself a more mathematically inclined visual-spatial thinker. What kind of thinker are you? Visual, kinesthetic, auditory, or verbal? As Temple said, everyone is really a mix, but might have stronger qualities in one area. Share your comments about this episode over in our online Global Autism community. Whether you're a self-advocate wanting to connect with other autistic people, or a family member hoping to support and empower your loved one, or a professional seeking to hear directly from autistic voices and improve your practice, you can join our online Global Autism community to collaborate with people from all over the world. Sign up today at community.globalautismproject.org. Let's work together to transform how the world relates to autism. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at AutismKnowsNoBorders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.